I invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, while you're turning there, I wanted to drop a revelation bomb on you that I, I shared with the first service. Do you know that next month is April? I meant to say next Sunday begins April. Anyway, um, so when we have April around here, we do this thing called April Outreach, and we try to just more intentionally uh, just remind ourselves that we want to be reaching out actively to our neighbors and uh, sharing with them good things that, that we're experiencing through the gospel here at Tabernacle. So um, that's why we have those little contact cards. If you want to share those with folks at work or at school or, you know, the person checking you out of the grocery store and just invite them, come, come, come and see, you know, come in here and uh, experience the gospel and Jesus's love that way. But we're not just asking people to, to come to us. We want to go to them and uh, I forgot to get this in the bulletin. I apologize for that. But next Sunday afternoon at four o'clock, we'll be doing another one of our prayer walks, uh, just sending people out in teams of three uh, to go knock on doors. You'll knock on about a dozen doors, maybe 15 or so. Uh, it'll take you about an hour and you're just gonna go and you're gonna ask, hey, how can we ask God to bless you? We'd like to pray for you. And, um, and, and I know that that can feel really intimidating to us but it's a lot of fun, and it's really kind of exciting and, and kind of uh, uh, fun to see people's positive reaction. Like, what, you just want to pray for God to bless us, really? And yeah, that's all. And we've, we've got some great stories along the way. So if you're free next uh, Sunday afternoon, join us at 4 o'clock, and we'll, we'll send you out, and then you'll be home in time for dinner. How about that? All right. Um, last week, uh, Willis Weatherford was here. He's the RUF campus pastor at Washington and Lee, and um, he was uh, covering the second part of Hebrews 3, where uh, it's the account of, of Moses leading Israel through the wandering uh, in, in the wilderness, specifically when they get to Meribah, and they're grumbling, and they're complaining, and they didn't, they didn't enter God's rest. And, uh, and, and the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 uh, at length. And, and now we're in chapter 4, where the, he keeps referencing Psalm 95, uh, the same psalm that was part of our, our call to worship this morning. So I just want to give you that context as we look at verses 1 through 11 in chapter 4. Would you stand in honor of God's Word, and we'll look at these verses together. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, lest, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his, word, his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for you to bless the reading and hearing and receiving of your word. We pray that you would help us enter more fully into the rest that Jesus provides for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right. uh, Can I just um, ask, this is a little personal privilege here. I'm going to ask you to, if you have a a pen or a pencil, take out a pen, um, and and you can use your bulletin as, as scrap paper. If you don't have a pen or you'd rather use your device or, or you know, uh, type it in on your phone or something like that, that's fine too. But I want to uh, ask you a question. Um, it's going to be a little, we'll just call it a pop quiz. Yay, pop quiz. Uh, I, I have a question that I want to ask you and I want you to write down your answer. And I'm going to give you uh, 30 seconds to write down your answer. So here's the question. Why should God let you enter into his rest? Why should God let you enter into his rest? There's the timer. You got 30 seconds. Go for it. 30 seconds isn't a lot of time, is it? Gosh. Oh, wait. Now you've only got 20 seconds left. Are you writing? Write, write faster. Write quicker. You're going to run out of time. There's, there's only 10 seconds left. Are you done? You got a good, are you done? You have a, a full and complete answer yet? This is an important question, Right? I hope you're done. Up, two, one, zero. Pencils and pens down. Close your exam books. You know, all that craziness. Uh, I'm sorry. You didn't come here for that. You you just want to get your money back? All right, fine. I understand. Uh, That that question will make sense in a second, uh, but just thanks for bearing with me. Um, In this passage in Hebrews 4, obviously there's this discussion about entering into the rest that God promises us. Uh, it's a rest that's for us, not just simply for God's you know, uh, f- former people, the Old Testament community. It's for his New Testament community too. And, and so how does that apply to us? We want to talk about a restlessness that we experience in the world. We want to talk about heaven's rest that he offers us and then how that rest comes to us in, in Jesus. So um, can we just all acknowledge the fact that we're all pretty tired? <laughs> we were singing about being weary and troubled, and, and we're all just kind of like, we all just want a nap. Can we, can I, is that so much to ask for? Can I just have a nap, right? Um, we, 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 uh, we struggle with what uh, one author described uh, as the shattering stress and disorientation that we induce in individuals by subjecting them to too much change in too short a time. The shattering stress and disorientation that we induce in individuals by subjecting them to too much change in too short a time. Like, doesn't that describe our age? 
all of the changes, all of the variables, all of the things that are just crushing in on us that stress us out, that send our anxiety through the ceiling and that are just frankly exhausting. We're all tired. Now what's interesting is that that quote comes from a book that some of you I know have read uh, and if you haven't read, you're probably familiar with it. The, the book is by a man named Alvin Toffler, and it was called Future Shock. And, 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 in, and in Toffler's book, he's writing about this shattering stress and disorientation that, that we're inducing on people by subjecting them to too much change in too short of a time. And he wrote that book the year that I was born, in 1970. It's an analog age. And that, like we look back on 1970 with quaintness and fondness and nostalgia, like, oh, what a simpler age. Oh, if we could have lived back then. And he's talking about the shattering stress and disorientation of 1970. And think about how things have ramped up, you know, in our day. Can I, can I just send your anxiety a little bit rising? Can I increase your heartbeat a little bit? How stressed are you? When you're looking at all your you know, feeds and all your, your things and, and all the, the, the things you're missing out on, the, the, how well everybody's doing and the trips that people are taking and the, 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 the parties that they're at and the events that they're at that you're not at, right? And, and you feel like the sense of exclusion and the stress of I got to keep up and I got to measure up and I got to get into that crowd and so on. And then we think of just political stress, right? and all the bickering and fighting and division in our country, and internationally, politically, you know, how stressful things are and how everybody's just kind of going through the ceiling, just really exhausted from the anxiety, you know. And then we look financially at what's going on. And the Fed keeps raising the interest rates. Because why? Well, because inflation keeps increasing and we got to get inflation down. And so we raise the interest rates. Do you know why they do that? Do you know what that strategy is about? Not only, you know, are, is, is our dollar worth less, but when the Fed raises the interest rates, what they're doing is they're trying to, to, to put a governor on economic growth. They're trying to, to, to help companies like slow down some and even like, take a few steps back. And you know what happens when companies take a few steps back? They start laying people off. And that's the indicator that the Fed's looking for. They'll stop raising rates when unemployment starts to rise. Oh, that's the sign that we've done our job. Like, what in the world? Now you've got occupational stress. Because am I going to have my job? Is my, my company going to make it? Are we going to get through this, you know, economic difficulty, or maybe even the R word, you know, who knows? Um, so, my goodness. And then there's just, there's stress at work, and then that bleeds into relationships at work, where so-and-so's, you know, taking credit for your work, and so-and-so's not doing their work, and your manager's breathing down your neck, and everybody's feeling the pressure, and, and then you take that stress home, and then you've got relationship stress with your spouse, or with your kids, or with your roommate, or your teammate, or your schoolmate, or whatever, Right? Okay, good sermon. Um, <clears throat> we have no idea how tired we are. You have no idea how tired you are. We're all swimming in this aquarium 
doesn't get cleaned. You know, it's that cloudy, murky stuff. And we're just going, yeah, this is normal. Until you get time off. You finally get that week or maybe even two weeks, right? And you're so looking forward to that. You're working hard and you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing because you not only have to get this work done, but you have to like get the work done that you're going to miss when you're away. So it's not really a vacation. But when you finally do get to like check out, close the laptop or, you know, not have to punch in anymore, then you get sick because your adrenaline has been going nonstop. And when that adrenaline, you know, just crashes, your immune system is so vulnerable. And then you're sick. What a great way to spend your vacation. We're so tired. Our entire society is exhausted. And we need rest. Into this exhausted world, I want you to hear these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's two ways to hear those words. From Jesus, by the way. Who does he think he is? How, how dare he think that he's got some magic power to lighten my load? Does he really understand and appreciate the craziness of my world right now? Like, like you, maybe you wouldn't say that publicly, but there's sort of this thought when, when, when you're about this close to a, a breakdown, to just absolutely freaking out, those words can almost sound stupid. Minimizing invalidating or it can sound like a lifeline which are they we live in a busy world in which many people are striving for something to prove themselves through work study career fitness, style, the result is a restless culture. All the time, God invites us to rest. And Tim Chester, who wrote our Lenten devotional on the second half of Hebrews, wrote the Advent devotional on the first half of Hebrews, and he says that all the time, God invites us to rest, and it's such a lovely, gracious invitation. You ever think about that promise as lovely and gracious? It's exactly what it is. Jesus gives us rest from our stress, but it's, it's, not, it's not a magic wand, all right? It, 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 and, I, and I think that's important so that we don't hear those words as minimizing or even mockery. No, it's because it's not a magic wand. 
the rest that we get through Jesus happens to the degree that we hold on to him and that we're united to him by faith, which is what Hebrews 4 is telling us. So the, the, the problem that the, the first generation that didn't enter that rest made is that they thought the rest was going to happen in Canaan, that the rest was a location. What they missed was that the rest was a relation. The rest was with them. And the rest was God's presence with them. And we, we know this intuitively to the degree that we are with Jesus in relationship with Jesus, united to Jesus, pressing into Jesus. We experience his presence. We know the comfort of him being with us. And so you, if you're a parent, understand this, and maybe it's been a while, but but I don't know that there's a parent alive that doesn't have the experience of a child that won't go to bed when it's bedtime. The kid goes, you know, you put them in the bed and then, you know, the, the footprints come, footsteps come, and they're in the living room. And, well, I told you to go to bed. It's bedtime now. And, you know, and, and then you put them back to bed and then they're getting up again. And you just, they, they're so restless. They won't go to bed. They can't sleep. I can't sleep, mom and dad. And then finally, some moms and dads, they just give up. And they're like, okay, well, just come into bed with mom and dad because mom and dad are so exhausted. We can't, I don't have the energy for this. And so there's the family bed. Or if you're like the no family bed type, then you go, well, fine. Uh, I'm going to grab the pillow, grab a blanket, and I'm going to sleep. You know, I have to lay down in the kid's room beside the bed just because why? They need the comfort of your presence. And that is the rest that God provides for his own children, the comfort of his presence. This is heaven's rest. It's heaven come down. It's heaven with us. It's Jesus with us. So um, in Hebrews 4, look at verse 3, where um, um, you know, I don't have time to go into uh, chapter, chapter 3 in Hebrews that, that, um, that uh, we were looking at last week, uh, talking about the warnings to that first generation. But we're picking up here, right? I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. What do you mean he's somewhere spoken of? It's in Genesis. Come on, we know this. Isn't that weird? When, if somebody knows why the author of Hebrews says, well, somewhere, I wonder where. You know, it's Genesis, right? Uh, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Well, we need to go into Genesis for just a hot second because this is going to help us understand the rest that God is providing for us. So Hebrews is referencing creation, the seventh day. God rested, right? You go back to Genesis, you have the account of in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. There was light, saw that the light was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Pay attention to that formula. The second day, God makes the sky, he calls the, the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning. The second day, next day, third day, let's let the dry land appear, and there was evening, and there was morning. The third day. Fourth day, we're going to start inhabiting those spheres. Makes the sun and the moon. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. 
And now more, you know, filling, filling the, the spheres, um, there was uh, birds and fish, and there was evening, and there was morning in the fifth day, and now it's time to populate the land with the animals and the creeping things, and then Adam and Eve, and there was evening, and there was morning in the sixth day. Now listen to the seventh day. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What was missing in the seventh day account? What did you not hear? Anybody? There was, did, it, was it, did it ever say there was evening and morning the seventh day? Why not? Because it, it's not over yet. It's still the seventh day. God's still resting from his creation. It, it, it was finished, and it was good. Now, there's more work to do through Jesus and what he's done, but Adam and Eve left the rest that God offered them in relationship with him, and the gospel is God's means to bring us back into the real rest that he promises us. Um, look at verse 1 again in your text in Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Back in uh, the wilderness, in that first generation when, when they had left Egypt, God said in chapter 34, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So the first generation, as we said, did not enter that rest. You can listen to Willis's sermon last week for more about that. They were focused on the destination. They were not focused on the Lord being with them. God's rest is found in a relationship with him. Israel missed this fundamentally. They thought it was a, you know, a location, not a relation. Which means that it's possible to have real rest, the rest that comes from God's presence with us, even in the wilderness. And it means that even if you're in an, in an oasis, if you're not in a relationship with him, an oasis can be exhausting, right? So God's rest is, is it's, not, um, it's not about the destination so much where we, where we tend to think of heaven as this place where we, we're going to be sitting on the porches of our heavenly mansions, you know, sipping on a, on a, on a nice you know, lemonade or something, watching the billowy clouds go by and listening to the angelic choruses. Um, I don't know, that might be interesting, but can I just tell you that an eternity of that would, would be boring. And we nowhere get a picture of that as the heavenly experience in Revelation. 
You know, Revelation gives us this window into heaven, and it's not static. The saints aren't bored. They're not sitting around. Instead, they're active. They're engaged. They're enthralled. They're excited. They're enthusiastic, and they're rejoicing at the demonstration of God's glory. And at the center of that demonstration is a lamb on a throne looking as if it had been slain, right? So that's what heaven's rest looks like. It's, it's the new creation that God has made where it's free from all things that, that pollute uh, God's world and vandalize it and corrupt it and decay it and, and all the stuff that causes us pain and exhaustion, and all of those things are traced to the sin that is in us. This is the rest that we look forward to, uh, described for us by an, an old saint, one of the Puritans, Richard Baxter, who wrote a book called The Saints' Everlasting Rest, and he gives us this picture of heaven, the rest that we'll have in God's presence where sin and everything that in it infects and affects is gone. And he says, doubtless, we shall no more be oppressed with the power of our corruptions, nor vexed with their presence. No pride, passion, slothfulness, senselessness shall enter with us. No, no strangeness to God and the things of God. No coldness of affections, nor imperfection in our love. No uneven walking or grieving of the Spirit. No scandalous action or unholy living. We shall rest from all these forever. Rest is this beautiful image for our eternal relationship with God. And it, and it, and it conveys the fullness of what we will feel in His presence. The, the satisfaction, the the rejuvenation, the, the contentedness, the happiness, the, the joy that we will experience with him. Um, free from, from worry and fear and anxiety and all the things that I was raising your blood pressure with at the start, right? That's all gone. Heaven is restful. Which means... That not being, in he- not being in heaven is not restful. And I know sometimes we, we think of the differences, the distinctions between heaven and hell. But have you ever thought of hell if that distinction? If heaven's this place of rest, can you imagine how exhausting hell is? Can you imagine the anxiety and the fear and the discord and the hatred and the vitriol and the arguing and the disdain that's in hell? And how eternally exhausting hell must be. Well, God has invited us into his rest. In verse 8, it says, if, if Joshua had given them rest, like that image on the front of your bulletin, if, if Joshua 
had given them the, the real rest that God intended, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. It's not about geography. It's not about this location. It's about a relation. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So there is this rest that's for us, not just for the Old Testament saints, but for us too. So, you know, when God completed his work of creation, as we looked at before, it said on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested, right? Well, there's a new creation. There's, there's the new creation that Jesus has accomplished. And when Jesus finally finished his work of making us new creations, when he hung on the cross and, and completely atoned for our sin, to make us uh, clean in the eyes of God, to make us accepted in his sight, what did Jesus say as that work was completed? It's finished. And Hebrews, is what we'll see when we get to chapter 10, talks about Jesus as a priest. So there's, there's overlap, right? Like Jesus was a priest just like the other priests. Went into the temple, would make a sacrifice. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Why did he sit down? Because he was resting. Because his work was finished. Because there's no more sacrifices to be made. It's completely done. He has completely made a way for our sins to be forgiven. We come to him, we repent, we believe in him, and it's done. It's finished. And this is why in verse 11, we're told, therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by, the, by some, some sort of, the same sort of disobedience. We don't, we, we don't want to miss the rest that God promises us in his presence. We want to go in. Um, entering this rest, uh, and there's sort of an irony here in verse 11, right? Do you, do you catch that? Like striving to enter that rest? What, is, what do you mean striving to enter that rest? What, what kind of striving, what kind of work uh, do we need to do if we're supposed to be resting? Well, the disciples were confused on the same point. So let's just get clarity from John chapter 6, where Jesus is telling his disciples, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So there's the work you got to work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And then the disciples are like, well, great, what must we do to be doing the works of God, to get the food that endures to eternal life? And Jesus says, here's your answer. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. When, when we think of rest, we are conditioned in our culture to think of rest being the result of our hard work. I've worked hard all week. I deserve a weekend off, or I deserve a day off, or I deserve a vacation after working a long stretch, you know, whatever. 
I've, I've studied hard, I've crammed, I've finished the exams. Now, you know, mom, dad, leave me alone. I just want to do my own thing and rest, right? We all think that we're entitled to this rest after we work hard. And so we are conditioned in our culture to think the way the world does that, you know what? The way that we get into God's rest is by working really hard. When I asked you earlier, Why should God let you enter his rest? If whatever you wrote down or typed in, whatever that answer was, if it overlapped with this whole cultural notion of, well, he he should let me into his rest because I've worked hard. I've, I've, I've earned it. I've, 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 been, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. I've, I've, I've been a moral person. Um, I'm, I'm certainly more moral than this, you know, my neighbors and these other you know, slouches around me and so on. Uh, I'm a religious person. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I tithe. I, you know, I come every Sunday. Or if, if it sounds like anything like that, that's, that's what the world thinks. That's not how we get into heaven's rest. Somebody um, shared this illustration with me a long time ago, and I still think it's helpful. Heaven's rest is like, like sitting on this stool. And when we talk about resting and, and enjoying the rest that God has for us, it's, it's similar to the difference between believing that, on the one hand, this looks like a very sturdy stool, it's got four solid legs. I mean, I can't even, it's not even wiggling when. You know, I move it around and it's, it's solid wood. It's not that particle crap from Ikea, right? Um, it's, this is a real stool. And so I can say all day long that I believe that stool will support my weight. But that's a big difference between actually sitting and, and trusting that stool. How do I demonstrate that I trust this stool will support my weight? Now you know that I trust it. So resting in Jesus and his work means that, yes, the rest comes on the end of somebody's work, but it's not my work. It's his work. When he was on the cross, atoning for our sins, paying the penalty so that we can be forgiven. And that's what we swing out into heaven on, on him. But... But why doesn't that feel restful to us? Why are we still exhausted? Why are we still stressed and anxious? Well, it might have something to do with the fact that this stool illustration is not sufficient. Because if I sit here long enough, if we all sit here for the next three hours, you're all ready to go home already. I'm sorry. Bear with me. If I sit here long enough, uh, I'm going to start to get uncomfortable because I'm not, yes, there's, there's a sense in which I'm resting in the stool. It's good. You know, if you rest in Jesus, he's your salvation, that's good. But to keep this analogy going, I'm still exercising some energy, like keeping my back aligned. Uh, I'm still keeping my head supported. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of doing a little bit of balancing to stay seated on this stool. Have you ever tried to take a nap on a stool? It's not going to go so well. If you sit on a stool long enough, you're going to want a nap. You're going to need a nap because you're going to get sort of tired sitting on the stool. There's a better analogy for what it means 
to really enter God's rest. Not just heaven, but the rest of his presence right now. And it's by imagining that this isn't a stool. Let's pretend this stool is a hammock. How do you get into a hammock? You have to work a little bit to get into a hammock. It takes some effort. It takes some intentionality. It takes some striving. You back up to the hammock. You, you, you sit on the edge and you kind of got to align your butt and then you, you commit. You like lean back. Okay, and here we are. I'm in the hammock, but I'm still not in the hammock. It's still swaying. It's still tottering. And I, I get one leg over and okay, I haven't killed myself yet. You get the other leg over. Okay, I'm in the hammock. And then you lay back. Oh, this is nice. And then you can take a nap. Are we really resting in Christ to the fullness of, of the rest that he offers us? If our sins have been forgiven and removed as far as the east is from the west, why do we keep lying to ourselves, to other people, covering up our failures and our mistakes? That's exhausting. If we've been accepted into the family of God, into the throne courts of heaven, why are we so stressed out about being accepted by this crowd or this group or whatever? And why are we like posturing and primping and priming ourselves to be acceptable to these people instead of loving them and serving them? It's exhausting. And if our righteousness comes from resting in the righteousness of God for us in Christ through his gospel, given us by faith because it's his gift to us, this rest that we have, the righteousness of God in Jesus, then man, why are we spending so much energy defending ourselves and arguing our point and demanding that other people say, yeah, you're right. We don't have to, to do life that way anymore. The gospel frees us from that. Enter into the rest that Jesus offers us. We all can go further up and further in. Let's pray. Lord, we pray uh, for grace to, to rest more in Jesus. Um, I pray for any here who, um, who need to just take that first step and, and just sit and trust in you for the first time. And I pray for the rest of us uh, who may be sitting, but it feels more like a stool than a hammock. And we pray that you would give us freedom, give us rest from our fears, our anxieties, our, our, our workaholic world that just demands that we keep striving and striving and striving. Help us strive against that. And help us fight against unbelief. Help us fight against the world and its assumptions. And give us the grace uh, that you provide through your spirit to believe in Jesus, to trust him for our forgiveness, to trust him for our acceptance, to trust him for our righteousness. And that in doing so, we would be a means and a and an oasis of rest for those around us as they see more of your presence in us. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.